Well, a very warm welcome to you all. It's lovely to see you all here uh, this evening for this service of music and reflection as we look ahead to Easter. Now, very quick bit of housekeeping before we start. Uh, if there's a, well, we are expecting divisions in the Commons, and my colleague Claire is going to be walking up and down with a piece of paper to let you know that that's taking place. I believe there is potentially one more division in the Lords as well. That will also be signalled, just so, just so you know. Um, and do come back um, in between votes if you can. It will be great exercise from the, uh, from the chamber back to the chapel. Now, Bach's St. John Passion. It, uh, it originated from a long-standing tradition of reciting the gospel narratives of the death of Jesus in churches every Good Friday. However, Bach had arguably the greatest theological mind of any composer who's ever lived, and he saw the potential of music to explain and apply the meaning of the death of Christ with a fresh clarity and depth each Easter. And so that's how Bach's uh, passions came to be known as sermons in music. And in the case of the John Passion that we'll be listening to tonight, he kept chapters 18 and 19 of John's Gospel at the very heart of his text, but then he surrounded it with theological reflection and personal application to the life of the listener. And he did that in three main ways. First, he, he added the arias, the choruses, and the chorales to the gospel text. And the, the arias and choruses are reflective poetry from various uh, sources of the time, uh, probably including uh, Bach's own reflections. And the chorales are taken from the well-known Lutheran hymns of the time. And they're interspersed throughout the Passion narrative. And they, they meditate on the meaning of the death of Christ, and they also serve to apply what it means in the life of the listener. And it, it, they invite the listeners to be involved and to respond. Second, he also constructed the music to emphasise the meaning of the narrative. And I'll try and draw attention to some examples of that as we go along this evening. And third, he divided the, his John Passion into two parts with the provision for a one-hour sermon in the middle. Now, don't be concerned. We will not be following his instructions to the letter tonight, our spiritual lightweights of the 21st century. But it's clear that Bach intended uh, his passion to teach the Christian faith to his listeners. So, in recognition of that purpose, we're, we're going to begin this evening with a prayer. And the words printed on your orders of uh, service are... The words for the opening chorus of uh, the John Passion, we're not going to sing that, but I'm going to use uh, those words as a, as a prayer now. And you'll see that the chorus is a prayer that God would reveal to us his glory through the death of Christ. So let's pray together as we begin. Lord, our ruler, whose fame in every land is glorious, show us through your passion, that you, the true Son of God, through all time, even in the greatest humiliation, have become transfigured. Amen.
One of the central themes of John's Gospel as a whole is the divinity of Jesus Christ, and it runs throughout the Passion narrative too. In a, in a few moments, the singers are going to narrate uh, Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, and particularly striking is how Jesus exercises divine control even over his own arrest. So can I just draw your attention to the text uh, coming up in, in 2A to D on your programmes, just for a moment. And notice first how Jesus chooses to go to this garden where he's often met with his disciples so that Judas and the arresting party will find him easily. Notice also how John says that Jesus knows what's going to happen to him and instead of hiding as anyone else would in this situation, he actually steps out to meet the arresting party. Did you, also, did you notice also that he repeats these intriguing uh, words, I am, three times? Now these words have a, a, a double meaning when Jesus uses them in, in John's Gospel. He uses them on several occasions. On the one hand, they can simply mean, it is, it is I. But on the other hand, they're, they're also the, the same words that God uses in Exodus to announce himself to Moses at the famous burning bush episode, I am. They were well-known uh, words uh, to those who knew their Old Testaments. And the previous time that Jesus used these words in John's Gospel, the religious leaders were quick to pick up on this association and they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. It wasn't lost on them what he was claiming by saying, I am. He was claiming divinity. But notice also the extraordinary reaction of the arresting party when Jesus steps forward and says, I am. They draw back and they fall to the ground. It's, it's not the typical kind of behaviour of an arresting party. There's something about Jesus in that moment that, that, that produces this extraordinary reaction. And they react in the way that people in the Bible generally react when they come face to face with God. They they fall face down and get knocked off their feet. And Bart makes sure that um, this theme of divine control uh, is emphasised in the musical score too. So, so listen out for that strong and authoritative voice of Jesus in contrast to the weak and confused voices of the arresters. Now it's common to hear people say today that Jesus was just a good teacher and but he never really claimed to be God. Um, similarly, people will often say that his death was a, a bit of a tragic accident, a, a good life cut short. But as we listen to John's narrative and Bach's composition, it's clear that neither of those opinions actually fits the evidence. Secondly, the movement which begins at 12a focuses on why Jesus died. Having highlighted the divine control of Jesus, now Bach focuses on human failure, illustrated in Peter's denial of Christ. At the end of Peter's three denials in John's account, uh, he ends with, a cock began to crow. And it's at this point that Bach then adds in a line from Matthew's Gospel. This line, then Peter recalled Jesus' words and went out and wept bitterly. And the musical setting for Peter's 
repentant tears highlights this all the more. Compared to that same verse as he sets it in the Matthew Passion, it's by far it's more extreme, more tortured in its expression. So of all the details that he could have incorporated from other gospel accounts, why does Bart feel the need to put this particular line in about Peter's tears of sorrow and repentance? Well, the answer, I think, can be found in the Chorale 14, which follows. This chorale voices uh, a universal observer of this scene of Peter, who, when witnessing Peter's denial, admits, too, that they have denied Christ, and and they pray for a a similar conviction of sin and repentant spirit. Now, the the majority of Bach's original hearers would have been respectable church-going types who might not have been very inclined to identify with Peter and his denial of Christ. But by including this verse in his passion, Bach is, is insisting that everyone is like Peter. We all deny Christ. We might not deny him explicitly, but in our day-to-day lives, in practice, we keep him at a nice, safe distance. In fact, it has been said that we tend to treat God a bit like an old-fashioned bank manager. Of course, he exists. He has premises to be visited semi-regularly. He can be called on in an emergency uh, if one arises. But generally, he should be kept at a safe distance while we get on with our lives. Now, Bach wants his uh, hearers to understand that unless they, like Peter, realise their rejection of God, they're never going to begin to understand the meaning of Jesus' passion. So there we have it in the first part. There's divine control and there's human failure. Oh! 
as we look ahead to the, uh, the second and the longer part of the John Passion, we again see Bach constructing his music to emphasise uh, the themes of uh, the Passion. And there are two main themes that he focuses on in the second part. And the first is the substitutionary nature of Jesus' death. It comes in part uh, 21 in Jesus' trial uh, before Pilate, where first we see Jesus' innocence being established during the trial as twice Pilate declares to the crowd, I find no guilt in him. Then at the climax of the trial, Jesus declares to Pilate that he is in fact in complete control of the proceedings. You would have no power over me unless it were not given to you from above, he says. So this raises the obvious question in the listener's mind. Well, why? Why is this Jesus, who is both innocent and sovereign over events, allowing himself to be condemned to death? And Bach gives us the answer in Chorale 22. Through your prison, Son of God, must freedom come to us. Your cell is the throne of grace, the sanctuary of all the righteous. If you had not undergone servitude, our slavery would have been eternal. So he explains the death of Christ here as a substitution. And he illustrates it using these two metaphors of imprisonment and slavery. So the chorale says that Jesus took our place in the prison of death so that we could enjoy the freedom of life. And similarly, Jesus became a slave of death in our place so that we could be set free for eternal life. Now, if, if we've been created by God, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that we owe him everything to, to our creator. But the example of Peter that we've seen tells us what we all know. We don't live like that in practice in God's creation. And in the Bible, the natural and the just consequence of this rejection of God is, is always death and separation from him. And that's why Bach describes Uh, It describes us in those really stark terms of being slaves and prisoners to death. However, the extraordinary message of the death of Christ is that God himself, God himself, stepped into history and became our substitute, took our place. Using Bach's terminology, he went to the prison of death for us. He became the slave of death instead of us. And again in his musical composition, he highlights the the importance of this moment in two ways that you can listen out for. First in Chorale 22, in the middle, it's set in the middle of a huge musical chiasm where things are, the, the musical composition is mirrored on either side of this central key moment. And second, listen out, immediately before the chorale, the the tonality changes dramatically from flat keys to sharp keys, both of which serve to highlight the central importance of this substitution message in the chorale. The second main focal point of the second part of the Passion uh, (coughs) uh, 
comes at Jesus' death, and, and, it, and Bach highlights it, actually, ironically, as a divine victory. This moment of apparent weakness is actually a divine victory. It comes in the aria number 30, Es ist vollbracht, a meditation on the last, word of, the last words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. And this, too, is placed at the centre of a musical chiasm or a, or a palindrome with the same structure of recitatives and choruses on either side of this It is finished aria. And the other musical device that Bach uses uh, to highlight this moment is a, is a dramatic change of tempo and key in the middle of this aria 30. The first half, which we will listen to this evening, is a slow descending line in, in B minor adagio, as the alto reflects the last deaths of a dying man. But then this suddenly turns into a fast and joyful D major allegro, with the victorious declaration, the hero out of Judah conquers with might and wins the battle. And it's at this moment that Bach leaves us in no doubt that Christ's death on the cross was not a defeat, quite the opposite. It was a victory, a divine victory. The human defeat of Peter and all of us has been turned into a victory through this substitutionary death on the cross. He served this term in prison for us. He's borne our slavery for us. The person who trusts in him is free from prison and slavery of sin, past, present, and future. The Christian message is not about what we do for God. It is about what God has done for us in Christ. Jesus himself could not have made it more clear in those last words from the cross. It is finished.
Thank you so much for coming to be here this evening. If you'd like to reflect further on any of the themes that this John Passion has touched on tonight, please, please do and uh, come to our uh, Easter celebration service on the Tuesday the 18th of April. There are invitations on your chairs. Or do join us at one of our regular Tuesday lunchtime services. I'd like to um, express on behalf of us all a very special thank you to Olivia Tate, Andrew Iris, and to the St. Martin's Voices Fellows for leading us so beautifully in our reflection on Bach's John Passion this evening. I'd like to invite us to hold our appreciation for them until after the, the final chorus and chorale. You'll see that the John Passion ends with a prayer of response. Picking up from Jesus' victorious declaration, it is finished. The final chorus declares that there is no need to weep for the body of Jesus because he has defeated death. But in a later revision of his uh, John Passion, Bach added a final chorale, which is a prayer of confident faith that because Christ died and rose from the dead, he can bring the one who trusts in him through death too, where that person will join countless other people and angels in praising the divine saviour, Jesus Christ. And that final chorale invites us to join in that prayer. So I'm going to pray that final chorale now as a prayer, and please join me in the quietness of your own heart if you would like to. Let's pray together. Lord, let your dear little angel at my final end take my soul to Abraham's bosom. Let my body in its little sleeping chamber absolutely softly without any anguish or pain rest until the last day. At that day, wake me from death, so that my eyes may see you in all joy, O Son of God, my Saviour and throne of grace. Lord Jesus Christ, hear me. I will praise you eternally. Amen. Amen.